0: Hey guys, uh, this is the Last Set Podcast, Um, number one MMA podcast in the world, especially in Australia. Um, You'll notice that we've got a little bit of a different setup today, Um, obviously on Zoom. I know that last podcast, we were just talking about how great Perth was and kind of shot ourselves in the foot and probably should avoid talking about how good Perth is uh, anymore because um, we've just had some positive case well we had one positive case someone traveling from perth to melbourne um apparently came out of his 14 day quarantine posted posted uh was negative at first was then positive in melbourne calls back to perth he's then interacted with so many people in perth and um Mm. now we've got uh i think two other people a male and a female candidate that have that have both tested positive so unfortunately we we have to do the zoom podcast but we just finished watching UFC 260 and honestly a uh, incredible card in general anyway but the the main card every single fight and obviously there there's their own you know uh, controversies within the card but every single fight on the main uh, main card all finishes spectacular. all spectacular and, and brilliant let's let's start off with, let, let, let's start off with um uh, Jorge are getting knocked out by Kamaru Usman. Who saw that coming?
1: Well, well, I mean, first of all, let's just start off with the fact that this was the first time we've actually had a crowd since, or a full crowd since COVID, and it sold out, and it's just sold out within minutes, and it delivered because when you have to have, a, when you're coming back for the first time on a full crowd, you have to have that star power. Now, people were kind of questioning from the start that, Ah, oh, Kamaru Usman, is boring. Well, here's the thing, he's not a boring fighter anymore. No. He put to sleep in that second round and quite frankly i did not see it coming at all i i I thought it was going to go on to the later rounds i mean it the knockout was evident because we've seen uh usman he's such a more proficient striker i mean he put gilbert burns away i think he was just you know he wanted that fight in the first place and he took it and he owned it from right from the get-go one thing I was really impressed with was he didn't. He really wanted to keep it standing, right to the end of the first round. That was when he took him down, and then he held him on the ground for quite some time. But he did spend. He knew uh, that the fans would want to see a um, stand a standoff, and that's what he delivered on. I, I'm I'm impressed, really. What about you?
0: Uh hugely impressed by Kamara's win. I I've never really got the. Um... I never really got the critics of saying he was boring. Um, And the only thing to me was maybe the foot stomps. I never found them particularly effective. Um, I I thought it was fine. If he presses people up against the cage, that's fine. He's still controlling and he tends to do shots to the body. Um, uh, Typically just body rips to the body or kneeing in in the legs. And that does damage. The foot stomps, I never understood. And uh, I, I find that part a boring aspect of his game, but... The dude can strike, and he continues to level up every 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 single fight. It's it's incredible yeah. the the difference he makes, and I think perhaps the proficiency in his striking can be allocated to you know his work his work ethic as well as Trevor Whitman's coaching. I think Trevor Whitman he does a really uh, he does a lot of work on each of these fighters, like Rose, and we'll talk about her later. But footwork, mm-hmm. distance control, and being being smart with your shots, working out which ones. Because uh, he started in the first round, he started to get a little bit – Jorge started to draw him out a little bit more. He, he started to yeah. start throwing wildly, putting a little bit too much power in his shots. And yeah. I think in that se- in that second round, he's had a chat with Trevor, um, and, and he's, he's managed to recalibrate and just work a little bit more selectively. I thought Masvidal was yeah. doing very well in the first round, piecing up yeah. his leg. And um, I think he was going for the low calf kicks just because he probably because he knew Usman's jab has got a lot better, a lot more proficient. And um, it's just a tough thing to get get behind as well in order to actually set up your shots. It's usually Jorge that's the busy striker. Yeah. It was Usman with the busy jab connecting over and over and over. And to be honest, U- Usman just is impressing everyone right now I, 100% he should be the number one power for power like in, in the next week or so I believe he's he'll be in the top three right now currently but yeah. uh, I don't know who changes the rankings he's got to be number one you can't well, deny well, how well, long his win streak has been in one of yeah. the busiest divisions ever
1: well I mean we always talk about like you know who, who is to go and it's a common conversation that happens within the UNV e committee you know I mean George St. Pierre phenomenal you know he's the guy who held on to his title for so long had so many title defenses he avenged both of his losses but the issue is like Camaro Kim- is just a steamroll and he's just going through and he's lapping he's so good now that he's actually lapping over the division I mean it, it's it's uh you know it's up for debate oh when they when they lose they win a fight they're like oh it's because of this it's because of that but Camaroism is just leaving no doubt and he'd already beaten Masvidal before, you know, and there was already calls for it because it was six days but and, and he gave him six weeks and he still beat him in spectacular fashion. I think I would say it now that even though, again, Usman isn't the D the, the, the goat, you know, he's not, he's on his way. He's on his way. I can give you that. But one thing I'm going to give you now, I actually honestly would say he is the best world to wait right now. The best world to wait of all time. Uh, just... His win streak. I think his his win streak is tied with George Saint Pierre now. Um,
0: I think I think his uh, his no his win streak has beat GSP's. Um, okay. yep. Currently, however, um, it, it's a little bit different because he hasn't done the amount of title defenses. So G, GSP's go. actual fight win streak is mainly yep. consisting of of. Um, of title defenses. Defense. Kamari still needs to allocate more of those wins to title defenses in order to be better. The two other candidates, well, the two other candidate, well, the candidates other than Kamari for greatest welterweight of all time in the UFC
1: yeah,
0: uh, is obviously GSP. That's the, that's a normal yeah. idea. And then there's Matt Hughes and Matt Hughes is yeah. still up there for sure. Um, yeah. It's just Kamari just needs to stay ready, stay busy. He's only 33 yeah. um, expected to improve a lot better. Yeah. Um, and with Trevor Whitman in his corner, I can't see him slowing down now. Yeah. Colby Covington has now came out. He was actually at the UFC uh, at UFC 260. You know, a huge amount of uh, huge amount of interviews with the schmo um, yeah. and, and everyone. Then I think with Megan and Olivia as well. Um, but but now, now we're going to see Colby Covington rematch in Kamara Usman, which is especially the fight that I was personally looking for because let, let's be real. When Masvidal first fought Kamara, Kamara Usman, it was a forty, uh, it was a forty-three fifty fight, right? 50-43. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think, believe that, that was unanimous across across all judges, right? I don't think anyone saw yeah. anything really different. So, the person that put Kamara in the worst spots and took major rounds from him was Colby. Arguably, yeah. in the round, uh, I, I don't even think it's arguably, but people just say arguably. In the coming into the yeah. fifth round, it was two and two. Yeah, it was a very close, close fight. Um, yeah, and to be honest, you might not agree with the ref decision. I know Colby doesn't, but Colby put he was the greatest competitor against Kamara Osman, and you cannot deny that. Now. now that you've got the Masvidal thing out of the way, which was great spectacle, definitely had to had to answer a few questions. Now we've got Colby versus uh Masvidal, and Sim, as very res, I know you brought up JSP, which is really. Um, well, what I was going to bring up as well is that Usman is very reminiscent of GSP because yes. they're in the same division, incredibly dominant champion. And now that the, the champion is literally the most active fighter in the welterweight division and mm-hmm. he's continuing to lap people. Like the only people that could possibly be, I, I mean, even if he fought Leon Edwards, that's a rematch again. They've already fought. That was Leon Edwards' last, uh, last loss. So mm-hmm. the only people other than than those that we can think of that wouldn't be a rematch if they fought again, would be Wonderboy Thompson, and yeah. uh, and maybe Hamza or Bilal or uh, other fighters like this. Everyone else, it would all be a rematch. And that says yeah. something to
1: how dominant Usman is. It's 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 a bit of a sticky situation because I. <laughs> Yeah, well, the thing is, a uh, co He's definitely improved since his Kamara's, Um, since Kamara, he lost his loss to Kamara. Considering that was a very close fight leading up to that last round, he was fighting on a broken jaw as well after the first round, and the volume of strikes that Cob put out was absolutely insane. And he's a pressure fighter, and really, it's a it's it, considering it was only just, you know, not too long ago when they fought. I do believe Col- Colby is the next opponent for sure, and then I'm kind of eager to see what happens with Leon Edwards. Now, mm-hmm. the best thing about where Usman is at right now is that he is definitely on his way to becoming the, the, the probably the number one contender for the GOAT or the GOAT status. Is because there's still a lot, quite a fair bit of competition in the welterweight division. Now, if Leon Edwards wins the next. Fight against Nate Diaz, which I believe will be on the Michael Chandler and uh, Charles Oliveira card. Then I believe that Leon Edwards is 100% a candidate to be the next contender for the world title. I understand? Because I felt like saying he should deserve it after you know poking Bilal in the eye that, that and that that man, fight that was one of the previous podcasts. Go back and watch that one. But uh, I do believe that this fight is waiting for him to prove it, considering it's now a money fight now that Diaz is back. So, I I do believe that it's next is Colby, then it's Leon, and then further down the track maybe we can have stuff, what, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, or Hamza Shmaif. But this is really good bec- for Kamara's spot because he's still he's now in his prime and he's still got heaps of more people to put away to prove that he is probably one of the greatest fighters of all, to, if not the greatest fighter of all time and that just further solidifies him. So I, I, I'm pretty excited for what's going on right now in the welterweight division. Yeah, I'm hugely excited.
0: I mean, to be fair, you know, when we break down Usman's, Usman's win over Jorge, now originally that was a 50-43, pretty much just originally uh, the original you know, thought process for this fight was it was going to happen the exact same it was, same yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe different fight, same outcome, and we were correct that way. However, I did yeah. not see the TKO win taking place because last time, when Kamara Usman was unable to, you know, stand toe to toe with uh, with Jorge on the feet, you know, he then resorted to wrestling, putting him up against the cage, taking him down, yeah. and being very dominant and and being very dominant with his wrestling skills. Now that we saw the rematch. He's leveled up. He's leveled up by he's changed. He's changed. Hugely. Now we already. Yeah. It was interesting as well because Jorge said he's one of the you know the weakest hitters, one of the softest hitters in the welterweight division, and yet yeah. he's the first person to ever knock out Jorge. Jorge's last finish yeah. was a crazy. It was on, It was a reverse triangle back in uh, in Bellator. It was his second Bellator fight. Um, uh, look, it, very weird. It was. Uh, it was definitely something that no one expected. That right overhand just absolutely connected, and he did a few things during the fight to actually set that up. Um it looked like he went for a pump fake, then just put everything into that right hand connected. Oh, yeah. Jorge was out. He was out on his feet. You can actually see as he fell down, he actually knocks Kamaru's shoulder while he's yeah. unconscious on his feet, slams on the yeah. floor, and then Kamari gets probably about maybe four or five more shots in, and then the ref comes over the around the back of him and waves it off. Jorge gets yeah. up later on, he goes hey, what's going on? What happened? He was in utter yeah. disbelief that it actually happened. Absolutely. Yeah. He didn't know what was going on. And there, And that's the thing. Uh, I'm glad he didn't uh, object to the stoppage. Um, yeah. Because there was, look, it was clean and it was dominant. Yeah. And to be honest, the more we get to know about Kamaru's uh, not so nice past when it comes to his family history and what happened to his father being in jail for 30 years for a crime that he allegedly hasn't committed. Um, yeah. Look, It just makes him. I find with the more wins he he accumulates, and the more of his story and more human he seems to be, um, you know, and not a fake put on personality like you know what we might have seen in the past. He seems more and more likable, and I think if he continues to be dominant, but in an explosive fashion, uh, collecting finishes like this, I could actually see him going past GSP's record. But obviously. That's a long way to go, but I could see him maybe passing Max users, you know, welterweight record and then GSPs. But look, that's in the future. But honestly, Kamari, he's impressed me so much lately. He keeps staying so active. His last fight with Gilbert Burns was not that long ago. Quick turnaround. He was even rocked in that fight. Was not afraid to actually go in against, against Hall. who's a very dangerous kickboxer. He's fought in, in so many different organizations, right? Now, now, now we got to see. Now we got to see what he'll do next against Colby, and mm-hmm. um, and silences a lot of questions. If he beats Colby, look, it, it silences so many, so many haters. And uh, look, I, I'm so impressed. I'm so impressed. Um, next thing I wanted to talk about though was uh, it was Wei Jengui Levis Rosemary Nunes. What did you think of that fight?
1: Yeah, that's. Before we, okay, Uh for Oremasdo, obviously that we know that next is going to be Covington, uh, obviously. See, I believe next for.
0: Hello. Yeah, you you fell out for a bit. I couldn't hear you, Jack. Hello?
1: Yeah. Sorry. I just, I just said, um, that
0: you've kind of frozen. Yo, Can you hear me? Yeah. You're frozen.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I was, just, I was just saying that next for, uh, next, sorry. Next for master dog sh- should be Wonderboy. boy. Uh, and that's the next thing. Anyway. Moving on for Jane Lally. Uh, First of all, I want to say that Rose proved everyone wrong. Uh, she came out, she was confident. I mean, at the start, she was saying I'm the best when Bruce Buff was announcing her. She just picked her strikes really, really well. At, and that head kick just came out of nowhere. Now, I just, I was just absolutely stunned. The commentators was stunned, Joe Rogan was crying. But the thing is, though, Shang was like having a go at Keith Peterson. Shang <laughs> is so so tough. But I, I actually a- agree with the stoppage because she was down, she was cold, and if she, she kept, if he didn't take her off, he probably she probably would have ate a whole lot more sh- shots. And I actually, I, I, and I kind of respect the idea that he stopped it because I, I feel like she was out for a couple of those shots, and every shot that she would have was just made the damage more and more. Now, do I believe that um, Jane Whaley could have gone on? Not quite. I do understand her frustration because I don't think, I remember the last time, I don't think Jane Whaley's ever been knocked out before, and especially in the early rounds. And But there's a lot of talk about they should run back to fight, and personally, I do agree. I don't think that's a bad argument at all considering that the, there's a bit of a lack of talent in the straw How it, uh Because I don't really want to see Joanne Jeschek versus Rose 3. I feel like a rematch between Wally Zhang and Rose is generally the way to go. And the, the other thing I've got to pop, pop off is this uh, Trevor Whitman. He's probably had one of the best days in office uh, for him as a coach ever. Like to have two of his fighters win both of his matches and one win a title. Retain the title, so both retain the titles. I mean, hats off to Trevor, man. He's really the real MP, MVP of the uh, of of well, of coaching, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree when it comes to Trevor Whitman, for sure. Because, I mean, he, if we continue to see maybe Justin Gaethje, uh in his in you know, a next fight in the future, even uh, you know continue to uh, allocate wins to his win column, then. You know, we, we could expect him to be probably head coach of the year. He's doing incredibly well with his athletes through Onyx as well, and um, oh, it's got to be happy de- happy days for Trevor Whitman for sure. Now, yeah, I know you brought up with Jane Lee possibly having the rematch with Rose. Look, I I'm kind of opposed to it because it happened in the first round. It was not. It was if it happened so quickly that perhaps you could maybe. Um, produce a rematch, and I understand that maybe the women's uh, divisions aren't as, you know, talent heavy. But um, yeah, so I, I totally understand with your concern about what Zhang thought about the stoppage. Now, I, I don't understand why she objected to Keith Peterson's decision um, mm-hmm. with the stoppage. But look, it was it was completely correct. She was knocked out, she was unconscious. It looked like Rose had been setting up that scenario, setting up those um, successive movements in her pad work as well on the UFC embedded. Um, Kamara even called it actually on the UFC Embedded as well. But Rose had been setting up that head kick and it just it just caught it just caught Lee in the perfect spot. Caught her, turned the lights off, and it was when Zheng Wei Lee was actually a little bit off balance. She was bouncing, moving around, and you know, almost mid-flight. Mid, mid movement she got caught on the chin. It just it just that's what happens. You get caught in the right spot, it cuts off the connection and boom, you're you're down on the ground. And Rose put in a couple more shots. Zhang Weili wasn't defending them at all correctly or and it wasn't intelligent defense at all. Mm. I think I think the real reason why Zhang yeah. was upset about it was uh, well it's actually two things. One, she's not used to losing. The the one time she lost was her debut by decision. Every single fight since her debut, she's won. She's won. She's never. She's never lost, and she's never lost by TKO before ever, or by submission. She's never been finished ever. So it's completely understandable why she uh, was upset, especially in the in the moment. But she's not used to this. She's not used to this at all. Okay. Um, and also, I would I would say the second thing is look. Whenever it comes to these Chinese athletes, they are conditioned to win. You know, Charles Sutton even spoke about it as well. When it comes to the Olympics, you know, the, the Chinese are, are known for – if you if you don't have a extremely high pro- uh, probability of winning uh, gold and winning a medal, they're not going to put you on the plane. They're not going to send you out to the Olympics. Uh, whenever it comes to their athletes, they pick these athletes um, – Mm-hmm. you know, quite quite shortly after birth and, and in their childhoods and they build them up from there and they make them really good athletes. They're they are so focused on winning because yeah. it consider it's considered a, a really good representation of their country and their image and almost like uh, almost as well as their the mm-hmm. ideal you know identity to the world they don't they don't expect each, they don't expect that to happen. She's not expecting to lose, and China's not expecting it to lose. And when that happens, she's obviously going to blame it and say it's an early stoppage, but she, obviously she's not used to losing. She's never done it before, other than her, her debut. Nah. Look, it, it's, yeah. it's understandable. You're in the moment. You're not going to know what's happening, but I'm sure as she looks at the footage again later on, she's going to go, yeah, I think they were right. They, honestly, Keith Peterson saved her from more and more damage and look, she got yeah. caught. She can fight another
1: day and that's what happens. Did you hear what she said in the uh, post-fight interview? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Where what she said it? that he smelt like beer and cigarettes. No, <laughs> I'm joking. Right. I just wanted to bring that up because it was Keith Peterson. Uh, I mean... Yeah. But one thing I thought was just strange is that she was stomping around at the end and then her corner was like, well, what happened? I don't know what happened, like could barely even stand. Uh, I just don't really believe that she, well, she didn't take it that well in the cage, but she's um, put out a post on social media." And she said, look, hats off. I got a little bit of emotional. I mean, completely understandable. everybody like, I watch him. I mean, for someone and she, hats off to, you know, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna be better than that. Champion isn't the go anymore, a higher purpose. I thought that was a brilliant comment to come off. Uh I do believe that the remat the, the, the rematch is potential, however maybe there's definitely some more upcoming in the straw in the shortway division. So yeah, I mean I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure what could be next. I was really I, impressed because we didn't really Zhang to win this fight. But one thing I'm quite impressed with was Obviously, uh, in terms of prediction, was Valentina Shechenko's win over Jessica Andre. I, Dana White said it in the post-fight co- post the post fight press conference where he said that Valentina looked pissed that anyone questioned her status, and I agree with him. I honestly feel like the UFC needs to stop throwing these contenders at Valentina because if you look at her past fights, they haven't even come close. She's barely lost any rounds in her past few fights. And I feel like they need to set up this trilogy between Amanda and Valentina Shachinko. But the thing is, Dana's like, well, look, if I don't really think it's the option, but if both women want to do it, then I'm all for it. And Valentina believes, oh, no, she doesn't want to do it again. Because and I'm pretty sure that she opened up UFC countdown with Valentina watching her shit saying, no, she doesn't want to do it again. And then that's the thing. And that's the issue where Valentina's at right now. What are your thoughts?
0: Um, Look, uh, I could definitely see a trilogy fight between Valentina Shichenko and Amanda Nunez for sure, right? And I think it would be an excellent match um, just like it was previously. However, you know, I, I do agree with, with the with the thoughts of Valentina that um she's very pissed off. She's very pissed off pissed off that she has any form of competition. She doesn't believe that. And that, that's the right mindset for a champion. But um I think it also came off the win against Jennifer Meyer. Everyone was, you know, saying, Oh, is Valentina slipping? She 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 lost a round to Jennifer Meyer and she had to come back and just show, hey. You can't take me down. I'm going to take you down. She leveled up as well. We talked about Kamara Usman leveling up. Valentina leveled up. She's typically uh, on her feet, incredible kickboxing skills, really good control of distance, um, very good at avoiding the takedown in terms of a takedown defense. And she's the one that just – Andrade is a you know, is actually mm-hmm. quite a big female fighter. And typically, if, if she so wishes, can take them down – and be very dominant with her size. Yet yeah, Valentina looks so strong in that in that division right now against Jessica Andrade. Now, I, I don't know what is next for Valentina, to be honest. It's very murky waters. I don't know what's going to happen when it comes with uh, having that trilogy fight with Amanda Nunes, but she is a force to be reckoned with. She's going to continue to win. Um, I, I don't really see who's our opposition other than Amanda Nunes. So I do agree with you that a trilogy fight between Amanda Nunes and Valentina Shechenko would be really good. I think it would be really, really excellent. And essentially, they're the two best female fighters out there. They are. They really are. Um, So it it would definitely make sense. Um, Yeah. If Valentina's game to do so, that makes sense, of, of course. The only concern I've seen is that Valentina, she is a good size and she obviously showed her strength in her current division, right? But when she's moved up to fight Amanda Nunes, it's actually, she's quite undersized. there's a little bit of a jump when it comes up to that next division. And there's been concerns that she might be a little bit undersized. Now, being undersized doesn't mean it's completely a horrible horrible disadvantage. Definitely helps with cardio, speed, and things like that, and especially uh, footwork. But, um, you know, I could see that trilogy happening in the future. And I think that would be a brilliant fight to make. But I just don't know what happens uh, with these female divisions because there is not a lot of uh, active contenders in the in the in their respective divisions. So I'm not too sure at this point. Um, we will yeah. have to wait in the future as yeah. a new contender comes forward. But if there is no contenders that are coming forward at this point, I would definitely see Valentina Shechenko versus Amanda Nunes three being the perfect fight to make.
1: Mm, yeah, I, I I agree with that. I also just want to say that Valentina Shatynko's grand and pound is just now insane. This isn't the first time she set up position and tried to win via crucifix position. She's done this before in the past, and she was just one. It's it's one of those massive mismatches that you have that happen, and it's the issue with the women's division is that been, there's a lot of uh, there's there's a massive contrast. Because there's a lack of talent. Uh, I just feel like the UFC needs to stop. Uh, is If they're going to keep throwing these fighters at her, then just be prepared because she just, it almost looked like from the moment that bell rang, it was a clear cut who was going to win. It was just a matter of when she was just going to put her away. Too, too much to, I feel like Valentina knows herself that, you know, you've got to stop playing with me, you've got to stop putting this. Argument that the fact that I can that anyone else is on my level because that's the truth. No one else is on her level. Other than yes, who are her losses? So let's get into
0: the fight with Chris Weidman um, and Uriah Hall. Now that that fight was supposed to well that happened a long long time ago. That first original fight um, that was that fight occurred three years before Uriah Hall made his um, tough debut. Uh, and that, that was alongside uh, Charles, uh, Charles Sullen as his coach. Now, Uriah unfortunately got knocked out against Chris Weidman, um, and, and that's when both fighters were making a massive tear um, in their in their you know in their respective uh, promotions. Now, <laughs> MMA loves irony. Uh, you know, it's it, it's so insane how Anderson Silva can be knocked out by Chris Weidman in their first fight, has a rematch, and Anderson, Anderson Silva breaks, his, uh, breaks his, uh, his leg by Chris Weidman checking. And then the same fight essentially occurs against Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall, which was their rematch 11 years after their knockout, uh, his knockout win against Uriah Hall. And he snaps his tibia in half so badly. After your eye hold, uh checked that kick, it breaks instantly. And it did not look like a clean break mm-hmm. at all. Um, as he steps back, Chris Weidman actually doesn't know that he's broken his leg. He steps back, goes to put pressure on his back foot, and it gives away in the opposite direction as the break. It was horrific. They just He falls back. He's in so much pain. Um, it, oh, It was... That was bad. I believe it was the same leg actually as Anderson Silva that that broke. Uh, I think it was the. I think they both broke the, the. No, no, no. Anderson broke his left leg. I'm pretty sure. And Chris Wybin broke his right leg. Um, and so it was just a nasty tibia break. And and then they the obviously because they don't want to show that too much on the on the screen to the viewers. Um, they then zoom in Uriah Hall, and Uriah Hall, you know, has so many. Instances where he's badly KO'd someone and he's had to mentally adjust a little bit, sit down, gather his thoughts because he doesn't genuinely want to hurt someone like this. He just wants to compete. And he's sitting there and he has to compose himself and breathe and bring it down a little bit while he waits for Chris Wyman, who's screaming in pain, to be stretched off you know, by the paramedics and the ambulance. Yeah. It's, it's um, MMA loves irony. Let's be real. MMA loves irony. And uh, it it was just horrific, and it was a bad break. So many people did not want to watch. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "No way!" It was. There were so many like "What the fuck" moments with this card to be yeah. honest. It was. It, it
1: was just full of that. Yeah. It. it was just. It was a bad. It was a bad day for leg it was and bad day for. Leg- leg kicks it was you know, chris has had a bit of a tough run over the past five years few years you know cats and now this horrible injury where does that put him really is is it um he, he must be coming to the end of his contract and uh, ushering out of a generation into a new one And Chris was part of that older generation. I do believe Chris can come back from this, but to get in the title picture, it's it's a long way. But also here's the thing, man. Uriah Hall is once again proved to be a very, very contender and, you know, possibly in the future for a um, a title shot, Anderson Silva. He put Weidman away. He's had some brilliant fights in the past. He was was going to be his amazing striking but it was just much more controlled fighter he's 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 got he's got a massive highlight right now and honestly i'm just checking uh where his ranking's going to be now apologies hold on she's The
0: rifle is currently number nine it's, in the
1: rankings so um i believe he's within the top the top 10 number nine number nine rankings. There we go. He's, the thing is though, he's not a very active fighter. He, he, he's full only once a year since it's from 2019 to, and 2020 to 2018. And his loss was structured now potentially, uh, going, uh, defend, sorry, or try and write that wrong against Paulo Costa and try and get that rematch. I honestly do believe that that's, that could be a next possible uh, fight for him.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely see that being a, a really good rematch um, to take place. Uh, one I'm thinking of is maybe Uriah Hall versus Jared Cadenia or Uriah Hall versus Darren Till. I mean, I would pay to see Darren Till versus U- mm-hmm. Uriah Hall. That's that's an amazing fight for anyone that yeah. loves High level elite striking. That yeah. that's a, exactly what I would love to see. Uriah Hall versus Darren Till could be amazing, or maybe a Jared Carriere versus Uriah Hall, or Ian Hynes for Uriah Hall. There's so many different combinations for Uriah Hall now. And like Dana White said at the post-fight press conference, is a win is a win. And then you know that that that's essentially he's not a, he's not going to get that fight against Chris Wyman, um as a trilogy fight for a long period of time because that nasty break that's going to take a lot of time to mend. Um, just to be able to walk on it, let alone be able to fight at the the most elite level uh, where you you will be yeah. kicked to that and you will be expected yeah. to kick with that leg as well. So um, he's not, he's, let's be real, you're whole, he got the win today, not exactly in the way he wanted, but um, the next fight he has, I would love him to see see him fight somewhere a little bit closer to the top five, which would be um, a Darren Till or uh J Candon there or a polo costa or something like that. I would love to see that. And uh to be honest, I really love Uriah Hall's yeah. striking. Uh, that uh that I think it's Shotokan uh karate that he comes from. Um I I love the way he sets up yeah. some of his of his high level karate kicks. Um, and, you know, I, I want to see him back in there as soon as possible since it's an early turnaround for him. He hasn't absorbed any damage. He's the first fighter ever to win um, a uh, a UFC fight without ever throwing a strike. Never threw a strike and then he won that fight. Um, just beautifully checked the kick against Chris yeah. Weidman and uh, obviously he's done some shin conditioning because it broke easily. Um, next thing I want to talk about... Good is um, Jimmy Crute versus, mm-hmm. um, versus Anthony Lionheart-Smith. Now, to be honest, obviously being Aussie, we're going for Jimmy Crute. Uh, everyone was very high on Jimmy Crute being 25 years old, um, now fighting in the top 10 of the UFC light heavyweight division. I think he was doing really well in that first round. Uh, really, really well yeah. chopping up um, Lionheart's uh, lead <sighs> leg. He was doing really, really fucking well. And uh, just got a an absolute freak of a, uh, it was reminiscent of the Sean O'Malley uh, TK actually, that uh, that one right low kick that just wrapped around the leg and went rack- on the back of the knee, hit his common peroneal nerve and just gave him serious drop foot. And um, I-, I must say yeah. props to Jimmy Croup because he managed to nail two amazing takedowns with so much force yeah. and so much strength. And he did so well. It looked like if he could stay on top and manage to do a little bit of ground and pound, he doesn't have to get up off the off the ground. He's got a black band, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He could go for some, a submission or just control him from there. And even if he just stayed in, in full guard, if that was that, he takes down um, Anthony Smith, stays in full guard, and just hits him with ground and pound, allows his leg to recover a little bit, tries to break guard, stand on his feet, he's ready to go again. It's just the way it goes because he got hit with such a good um, kick to the to the back of the knee, and it just caught him in the sweet spot. And then, and obviously, there's yeah. no real meat around there or real muscle at the back of the knee to actually. It's very exposed. It's definitely a weakness yeah. when it comes to human physiology, that a lot of people are exploiting now with these kicks. And he's he's try. He looked pretty good when it came to walking back and forth. When it came to the doctor assessing if he how bad the drop foot was, right? It looked like he recovered until he took one more step and it just gave way mm-hmm. and yeah. he wasn't yeah. able to continue. You could see he was very upset, punched the cage, was very annoyed. Um, Anthony Smith, always a man of class, true gentleman when it comes to the sport, um, sat down with him and just sat, and just consoled him a little bit. And I'd love to see uh, a fight like that again. Um, but obviously
1: yeah.
0: it, it's a legit win for Smith because – it's exactly what he planned to do. I don't know if he was expecting it to be that effective, but it seriously was. Just hit yeah. him in the sweet spot, and that's just how it goes. And uh, to be honest, I don't see this as a yeah. bad look for Jimmy Crib because he's 25 years old, so much potential, looked really good against Smith. And to be honest, when it comes to that, like Smith's one kind of proper significant strike was that kick that just wrapped around the back of the knee and gave him horrendous drop foot. And to be honest... Yeah, Jimmy Crew, uh can be expected to make a quick turnaround because once that paralysis of his, uh, that you know, that common perennial injury goes away, he'll be able to fight very, very quickly. And uh, you know, if he wants to have that rematch against—not um, rematch, but the his fight against Johnny Walker that was supposed to happen, which Anthony Smith became the alternate with—I'd love to see him fight Johnny Walker as well. Let's see that happen. Um, but it's—it's it's funny to see. In the last two years, we're seeing so many more calf kicks that are becoming incredibly more um, apparent and way more effective since Benson Henderson did it. uh, We're starting to see them being used a lot more effectively. And, uh, dude, like stuff, uh, stuff, the calf kicks and the the kick behind the back of the knee, I think the kick behind the back of the knee is is actually worse than a proper calf kick because – at least when it, if you're kicking a calf, which the, the common peroneal nerve runs through, at least you've got your gastrocnemius and your soleus muscle to actually take a little bit of the brunt and you can condition that. You can't condition the back knees. You just you can't. There's hardly any muscle back there. It's exposed. There's no bone in front because it's the behind your patella. No, you
1: can't. It yeah. can't be done. It's just a weak spot when it's it comes re- to human physiology. It's because it's where the sciatic nerve runs. Now, I was watching a couple of videos of doctors breaking down the kick. They said that, yes, you do recover from drop foot, and it's just it's that nerve damage, it's because you're in completely unable to dorsiflex or plantar flex your foot. That's why um, Jimmy could not lift up his toes, and it's because that area is exposed. He can't balance on it at all, and obviously balancing on one leg is a lot more It's really obviously incredibly difficult they all agreed that, that it was clearly that they should have called off the fight. He, If he was given a lot more time, let's say if they gave him another like few minutes, maybe he could have came back and sort of fought because Jimmy was fucking doing well for someone who had what, fighting on one leg. You've got to give that. But the doctors had every right to call it off and understand it. And it was a very smart move to do because his leg was not in any condition to keep going. And then the doctor's got to ask himself, if I let this guy fight, even though he's on one leg and he's doing well, he could still, the damage could be a lot more worse because if that leg gets kicked again, then it could be blown out. Now, Dana White said in the press conference that he reckons his, his leg was completely blown out. However, uh, judging by the doctor's decision, I do believe it was just dropped foot. Uh, If he, I'm sure by the time of this recording right now, he should definitely have some, a lot of feeling back into his leg, he should almost be moving around. He'll definitely have some soreness and some numbing for the next couple of days. But it was every right for the doctor to call cool it off, and I don't believe that anybody should be booing him. And second of all, I think Jimmy should has once again put a moment in history where he, even though he, he had one leg, he was still doing incredibly well. I think so a lot good. of if fighters... Those
0: takedowns were impressive. I'm not going to lie, those impressive. No, they're impressive. He was, he especially was, he was when just he, very effective. Especially, especially for a lightweight. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he was very effective when it came to um, just kind of just redirecting where he was going when he was on one foot. It was imp- it was, I thought it was incredibly impressive how he managed to take down Lionheart with his whole body but he was only able to really push off one leg. And I thought it was impressive how he could yeah. do it twice in such a short period of time where he's got really bad drop foot and he can't, he couldn't move around. And then when he was able to recover, he's sitting on the stool. Um, and, and he gets up, he was still able to walk a little bit. As soon as he tried to walk backwards, it just gave out. And that, that's just the thing how it yeah. goes. It's just, um, I think with the emergence of the calf kick and kicking behind the knee, that's, affecting the common peroneal nerve, I think it's become so effective now that some, some people are going to start tinkering in the, you know, they're going to start tinkering now what is the best way to actually counter it other than moving yeah. out of the way. And I, to be honest, my main criticism is probably that a lot of people haven't thought of a way yet. Um, they've tried to mm-hmm. check it, but at the end of the day, there'll be some form of damage. I think, I honestly think that the yeah. best way against this calf kick is to never let it touch. And I think Sean O'Malley did it the best yeah. so far. Um, I know that we saw a little bit in the Pedro Munhoz versus Jimmy Rivera fight where calf kicks were being used and uh, they're doing a not too bad way of checking them, but yeah. you could still see that damage it- was taking place and it can accumulate over time. Those calf kicks, you can shoot them out very, very quickly and you know, you can be at a very far range in order to just catch them with your toe. And that's all you kind of need. Sean O'Malley probably did it the best just by yeah, just by getting out of the way, just inches out. All he has to do, just inch out, just enough and jump back in. And that's all he has to do. Inch out, inch, inch back in. And that it's just, I feel distance control is the main way to counter the calf kick. As soon as you see it coming, just inch out, come back in. And, and that's the best way. Don't even get any damage. Don't, t- don't check it. Don't try. It's not a Muay Thai kick, kicking into the leg. Yeah. You can't.
1: You can't get anywhere around these calf kicks now. Well, it's a, it's a gamble. That's the thing. It's a gamble because if you if you come back and then you check it, then you're obviously going to cause some damage, especially in that sweet spot where that where you know Chris Wyvern was taken down. Or if you have a proper shin conditioning, then you're going to really put some like put some pain on them, put some damage on them. So I don't – so I do agree with you on that distance control. And if you're having that quicker check or just getting out of the way, that's definitely one way to counter it. But I feel like calf kicks really have been around for quite some time. But again, again, it's been – it's knowing where to kick – where to target specifically. Because Jose Aldo was always known for his leg kicks – his, and if you go back and watch his fight against Uriah Hall where his whole leg is Uriah favor yeah, sorry, um, Uriah favor. sorry, yeah, Uriah favor so leg kicks have definitely been around for quite some time but now it's there even more uh, what's, what's the word? Refined, where they know specifically where to go and where the weak points are in the body to make them most effective so To to play on what happened, I. But the thing is, uh, if they're going to, more people are going to be using them, which they are now. Then there's more information that's going to be used around them. So I do believe very soon, coming in the future, people are going to be having a better understanding on how to how to um counter them. It's just now there's there's so much now for the first time there's so much. attention towards just this one move because you will see so mma has been around and now it's getting to a point where we're proving what techniques are the most effective and the most game-changing to compare to which techniques are the least effective and elite and almost completely relevant so that's all um, and then if you a, a more complete fighter is one who understands all the most effective techniques refines them and adds to his own uh, style, you know? So that's, yeah, for that's sure. really all I can finish up of. And, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, a lot, like you said, um, Jorge, uh, sorry, uh, Jose, Jose Aldo, yeah. Um, master of the, of the leg kick, especially. Well, it was specifically the Muay Thai leg kick to the outer side of the quad and the inside of the leg. Um, and he was so effective with that. I mean, you can see Uriah Faber leaving and he, he's on crutches, Legs still blue and purple, uh, you know, even a week after. But, you know, the Thais have been doing um, leg kicks for thousands of years. They've been doing it for such a long period of time. And they transitioned into MMA because more uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing oriented fighters have then transitioned, uh, opposed to the wrestlers and the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys. And now we're starting mm-hmm. to see uh, kicking below the knee being actually really effective and behind the knee being effective. So look, like you said, and I think you put it really well, the more people are utilizing it and making it uh, shown that it's an effective tool is that someone will also make an effective tool to counter that effective tool. So yeah, yeah, I'm ready to see what, what some people do other than getting out of the way in order to counter this effective tool. That's just being, it's, it's incredibly important in MLA right now, incredibly important. Um, that, that's one of the major tools that's really been the most effective and the most proficient when it comes to quick finishes uh, in the UFC in the last couple of years. Um, I want to talk about though. look, Jake Paul. Uh, been in uh, in a lot of the <laughs> the news headlines lately, yeah. And he's been going back uh, back and forth with Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier even said on the yeah. uh, DC and Hawaii show that if he saw Jake Paul, he would slap him, because he'd been going back and oh. forth and saying, you know, Jake Jake Paul's been saying, oh, I'm gonna I'll fight you, DC. I'll um you know I'll fight you, fatty, and things like that. Uh, and then actually, you know, Jake Paul manages to fly out, go to the, the fight in uh, in Miami. Actually, no, I think he's transitioned to Miami, actually. I think that's his new home now. Um, but he, he watched the UFC 261 live, and you can see he's at the crowd with his buddies. And you see Daniel Cormier yeah. just straight over lines walks over and gets in his face. And I've heard reports that yeah. actually Daniel Cormier broke Jake Paul's watch. I've heard reports that actually... <laughs> Allegedly, Jake Paul, because um, I saw a bit of them going back and forth, they're putting each other's hands in yeah. their faces and things like that. Yeah. You can see Daniel Cormier is pointing in his face like this, getting, you know, yeah. obviously tell him to, you know, to fuck off and don't put my ma- yeah. uh, ma- name him in your mouth and that. But uh, apparently, Jake, and this is allegedly, this is what I've seen um, uh, on Twitter and other, um, other forums and things like that, is that Jake actually tried to put his hand. Near or close to Daniel Cormier's face, and Cormier swatted it away, and apparently he's, <laughs> he he landed on Jake Paul's watch, and I think he was broke Jake Paul's watch. Now I don't know if that's oh. correct. This is obviously allegedly, but I, I've heard reports that he's actually broken Jake Paul's watch. Actually, um, well, it's not which like is pretty for a new one. True, yeah, which is pretty like, funny because yeah. if it's a Rolex or something like that, it shouldn't be breaking if you know, Daniel Cormier swats it. Uh he might be wearing something pretty cheap, but if it's breaking. But uh you yeah. know, it could it could be a nice out um old G shock or something for a we know. But
1: uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just he's he's right look Daniel White even gave him a little bit of respect, saying, "Look, hats off to him. He's but he's there's a market for what he's doing. He's just not in that market." And I like it when he was saying that. He was trying to hint that Triller, what Trilla's doing is we talked about in the last one, is completely different to what the UFC and the MMA community wants, you know. And when I saw Daniel Cormier and Jake Paul, I feel like they were just trying to hype him up. I feel like Jake's just going for the extra attention. You know, he's a troll. He's an instigator. He's he's Pretty much just trying to get a little bit more name around himself. He's trying to bring more attention to the sport. But what he's doing is, I'm like, listen, Daniel Cormier, yes, again, forty year old, but and he's a heavyweight. I don't really think I could ever see them to uh, to actually fighting. No. Truth be told, what I wanted to bring up was now that Tyron Woodley is a free agent, Tyron get be the one to knock this dude out. I mean. I I feel like it could
0: be the perfect candidate, really. Yeah, 100%. So we talked about that off-air, actually. And, um, you know, with Tyron Woodley, uh, and we did foreshadow this, we did say, look, if he loses his next fight against Vicente Luque, he will be cut. Following that, we said he's going to be cut within a month or so. We were correct. He was cut. Um, And it was funny that he was cut just days after he actually had an interview with Arahuani saying... I was actually unable to fight Jake Paul uh, originally when I was asked by Jake Paul to fight him um, because I was still yeah. under contract with the UFC. Now that I have lost against Vicente Luque, I might be cut now. If I'm cut, let's fight, Jake. Let's fight. There's no, there's no uh, strings yeah. attached to me now. And, um, and then actually he got cut. So this could be Dana sending – you know, he sent Ben. Now he's sending Tyron. And uh look, it if anyone I, I would like to see Tyron there because he's much closer in terms of yeah. weight, um yeah, to Jake Paul than he than Ben Askren yeah. was. Ben Askren was a 170 pounder, did fight at 185, and so did Tyron Woodley. Yeah, but there is a difference in in physique when it comes to yeah. weight there. Um uh yeah. you know. When I look at it, Tyron cut a stupid amount of weight to hit 170. He's easier 185. But he definitely could fight at 185 if he wanted to. And, um, and when it comes to that is, I, I really think that Tyron Woodley really would be perfectly suited to going in a boxing match against Jake Paul because Tyron actually has been in a boxing gym for a large amount of his life. Um, especially a wild card with Freddie Roach and things like that. And he, a lot of his camp is made up by professional boxers and amateur boxers, Mm -hmm. very high-caliber boxing fighters, whereas Ben had to learn at a later stage in life where you can't pick up skills that well within maybe 8 to 12 weeks um, to train for it. As well as coming off a hip surgery, like he'd, obviously they've picked an p- opponent very well, and Jake's done very well at marketing himself. Let's get Tyron that fight. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Tyron deserves that pay, yeah. and he obviously he doesn't deserve that disrespect because even Jake Paul's mate um, Jay, Lo, Jay Leon Love um, was calling out Tyron Woodley as well, you know, saying yeah. he, holding up the boxing club saying you don't know anything about these. When Tyron did know a lot about boxing, certainly not a professional boxer, yeah. but. He can handle himself in the ring, and he's much closer yeah. to Jake's weight. Um, I would yeah. like to see that fight, and obviously there's no strings attached now. Do I see Jake probably accepting that fight? Probably not. I see probably no. I see Jake probably next picking maybe an amateur boxer. That's why I see him. Uh, I see him picking well, an amateur well, boxer from now on.
1: Well, we talked about this recently, but Dylan Dennis is going hard trying to fuck with Jake. I don't see like, that happening real- at all. I don't see that. I don't man. see that. They both
0: had to the worst hands in MMA.
1: Yeah. Because Dan is going on all these podcasts. He even did a video with Lana Rhodes. I sent you that. And I was like, oh, fuck, man. I don't, I don't. I, yeah, he's trying weird. hard to that's troll him. He's he's trying hard. And it, they're trying to out-troll each other. It's weird, though. Someone pointed this out to me. Like, the only person who's made Jake actually bleed was Deji. I was like... You're right, you know. It is, and it was his first amateur fight. And that was just – I don't know. It's just such a strange uh, – such a strange area like those uh, – do, do I, I still feel like there's a chance of Dylan Das happening. But I don't think Jake wants to pick him anymore because he's like, nah, man, you had your chance. And then Dylan's like, whoa, I had my knee. So anyway. Um, I, I, I see
0: that being more likely than the Tyrant fight. I see yeah. – I see perhaps maybe Dylan Dennis or maybe an. I think Dylan Dennis, amateur boxer, Tyron Woodley. Because yeah. right here against, against Tyron Woodley, much harder fight. Amateur boxer gets to say, oh, yeah. I fought an amateur boxer. He won't fight a pro boxer. He's mm-hmm. still trying to build up. Then you've got Dylan Dennis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dylan, I actually like Dylan. I think he's actually a funny bloke, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Some of, it, some it of the stuff so funny. That line of thing was just weird. Um, when it comes to trolling and, and putting up funny memes and funny content, he would be really yeah. good at marketing a solid fight. Um, and I think he would work really well into, yeah. into Triller's kind of structure where all they're looking for is just hype, drama, and selling yeah. kind of bullshit content. It's not gonna be it's not gonna be a it's, it's not gonna be a really good striking match. It's really not. Um, Dylan's been with SBG for a long time. Yeah. we think that he would build up a, a lot better striking yeah. base, but he doesn't. He's really good at Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, he's amazing at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he should probably stick in his lane. Because when you see his first fight in Bellator, which arguably was a while ago, maybe 2017, 2018 or something like that, but his first fight, his debut was, I believe, was against someone who was two and four in Bellator. No, actually, he was in Bellator, but he was two and four uh, uh, professionally, right? And he was getting pieced up. Mm-hmm. He was getting pieced up. Until Dylan took him down. Yeah. Um, I believe he went for a heel hook or, or a leg lock, and then he managed to win the fight. But he only won when he played to his strengths, which is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Also, when you look at Dylan Dennis, yeah. his frame does not look like a 190 or 200-pounder, not at all. Mm -hmm. When it comes to uh, setting up a more competitive match, it would be an amateur boxer or it would be Tyron Woodley. And I think Tyron Woodley would be the perfect fit right now because it ties very well well into Triller's last fight. And it certainly threads back into that storyline how he beat Ben, Tyron's a much better boxer, and Ben's very close friend. He's coming to kind of whoop Jake's ass because he's, he's good friends with him. Um yeah. I think that plays in a lot better, but let's be real. If he fights Dylan Dennis, I wouldn't pay, I wouldn't pay a dollar to watch him fight Dylan Dennis. Let's be real.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't. It's just, it'd be a I shit mean, show. Like, I, you know. It'd be, it would be a shit show. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't want to have a circus of a card. Like, we saw it in the last one, like, I don't want to see, I didn't even want to watch Frank Mia fight, I didn't even, I don't want to listen to Oscar De La Hoya commentate, I don't want to listen to Snoop Dogg commentate, it's just, it's a bit of a joke, man, it's a bit of a circus. Look, if you want entertainment value, yeah, but if you're a real fan of the sport and the sweet science of boxing, get the fuck out of here, man, I mean, I'm not going don't, to, I don't want to watch it honestly uh, yeah uh, but uh, Woodlands versus Jake Paul okay I'll watch that but do I think it's going to happen probably probably not probably not,
0: probably not. Yeah, I think it would work problem. well into Triller's yeah. structure but probably not going to happen it would be a yeah. huge level up um, and uh, Jake would be kind of stupid to do that could he get the, could he be stupid enough to yeah. get the bait on maybe um yeah one, yeah, next thing I want to talk about is an interesting bit of news. Now, we were kept on talking and we put out lots of information about Robert, especially on Instagram and YouTube. Is that Robert Whitaker, next person in the line? That's who we believe deserves the fight against Adesanya for the rematch. Now, we've actually recently found that a little bit of a quick turnaround if Adesanya wants to fight in June or July, it's maybe a month, just over a month. Uh, in order to fight Adesanya. It would be Adesanya at his best and probably what, Rob at his worst because he's not able to recover and be able to take in the proper rest and recovery and formulate a great specialised game plan for someone as powerful a striker as Israel Adesanya, who's currently undefeated in the middleweight division. But then we get notes yeah. of uh, Marvin Nittori, um possibly fighting against uh, Israel Adesanya and it's actually been confirmed um, I think it was midnight actually in Australia or early morning in Australia yeah. it was confirmed uh, we're going to see Israel Adesanya have a rematch against Marvin Latoury uh, I believe in June is probably it, I'm not too sure if it's June or July um, but we can expect that fight to come very soon It's uh, in June I think it's yeah. the 10th of June 10th of June, July, uh, 10th of, uh, June I believe yeah. But but let, let's be real. Yeah. Um, well, when it comes to matchups, I believe Robert Whittaker is the best 13th matchup. Thirteenth of June. Sorry. Thirteenth of June. Apologise. But uh, Robert Whittaker would be the best yeah. suited candidate to have any chance of beating Israel Adesanya. Marvin Vittori, next person online. I think uh, I would expect for him to have another yeah. fight in order for him to be the ideal candidate as a con- title a title contender. Um. 'Cause I believe he was rushing a little bit. He's twenty seven years old, he's got a lot to improve on, a lot of room to grow as well, only being twenty seven, very fresh to MMA. Um, but I'm glad we're seeing it too. You know, this is other than the Jan Blakovich, Marvin Vittori was the only person to take um Israel Asana to a split decision in the UFC. Other than um other than was it Kelvin Gaston? Was that by split decision? I know Adesanya beat Calvin by decision, but I don't know if it was by split. Um, I don't think it was split decision anyway, but I thought it was a lot more dominant than that. But the, I'm rambling a little bit, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that Vittori went to split decision with Adesanya a long time ago, right? Um, he argues that he beat Adesanya that uh, in that day in the Octagon. Uh, I disagree, I've seen the fight. I, I believe Adesanya beat Vittori uh, handily, but close, close fight but I'm happy to see that again. Yep. Vittori's made uh, huge changes. He's a big middleweight. He's a big, big middleweight, and he huge. Yeah. He's got a tough, tough uh, chin, and um, that counter, counter yeah. uh, cross that he has is 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 money. It just shoots down the line, and it hits people flat on the chin. His wrestling is incredible. He's able to take people down, and he's got phenomenal Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. Um, if yep. it wasn't Robert Whittaker fighting... The next name that comes to mind is Marvin Vittori. If we can't get Robert Whittaker, fuck yes. Let's see Marvin Vittori face Israel next in June.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I was question, I was wondering why is it they've given it to Marvin over Robert? And I think you explained it there. I think it's because Marvin and Adesanya went to decision and Whittaker and Israel Adesanya went to beat Robert Whittaker by knockout in the second round. And he knocked him yeah. down at the end of the first round as well. So that, that is true, that's... but uh,
0: it's because Rob, uh, it's too quick a turnaround when it comes to Rob. Also, Rob yeah. has yeah. came from Australia, flown to America to yeah. fight. Then he's gone back into quarantine yeah. in order to go back to uh, Australia. Then in a very short period yeah. of time, him and his coaches would have to do the exact same thing. Doesn't get to see his family. He has a, a newborn um, yeah. child as well. It's too fast a turnaround. and. We argued that yeah. he should come to Perth. Now, that's ironic now because we're now in lockdown. <laughs> but um, but Whitaker was at yeah. Sanya around September, anywhere between September to November, later on the year in perhaps Melbourne or Sydney in Australia, right? Um, it would be too quick a turnaround, especially for Rob's mind and, and the way his life is going around and his own commitments when it comes to his family. Um, it would be too quick to turn around since his fight was just uh, not that long ago. So Marvin Vittori slot in yeah. very well and uh, excited to see this. I I still believe that Adesanya will, will beat Vittori. I think it would be <laughs> – to be honest, it could go two, two ways. It could be Adesanya catches him and does the same thing he did to palacosta Costa mm-hmm. when Vittori tries to yeah. rush towards him and close the distance or – it could be similar to a Kelvin Gaslam where Vittoria is able to trade on the on the feet, um, has likes to mix in his takedowns, and Adesanya has to kind of grind it out to a decision. But all in all, yeah. I don't see Vittori winning, and I believe in Starbender. I think Starbender beats Vittori. Um, obviously, we'll break down that fight a little bit closer to the time date, but interesting news, to be honest. I honestly, did you see this coming, Joe? Did you see this coming, Joe?
1: Yeah, I. Yeah, there's music that's coming over from one of the neighbours. Anyway, let's just let just cap it off by getting my five and fours. I believe that uh, Israel Adesanya will win, but it will be via a knockout of one of the later rounds. We know that Adesanya is good at he's good at chopping them up especially the big guys and give a shit about how big they are. He's, he, he's going to go for those leg kicks. He's going to break them down. He's going to counter his shots. He's going to eventually download, you know, download from the first, first round or so, and then slowly break him down. Now, Marvin Vittori, even though he's a high level striker, I do believe he's going to give Adesanya a very big test, but I feel like if it's going to be a five round fight, I do believe that Adesanya is going to get that potential knockout in that fourth or fifth round. If I were to really break it down, I think it might be by that head kick and then just go into a quick ground pound. Uh, that's my final predictions. I And then eventually down the line, he's going to get a rematch with Robert Whittaker. Uh, it's just, it, it has to happen. We've argued for quite some time that it should happen and it's a bit of a, Insult if they don't give him that rematch. So, th- those those are my final thoughts, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I yeah. totally agree. Um, I think Adesanya could definitely catch him with a with a head kick or maybe a, a knee while Vittorico goes in for the takedown. Um, but these are obviously obvious strategies, and obviously when you're in, the, in there, in strategies can change. And both fighters are able and capable of adapting to each other's rhythm and 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 patterns when it comes to. Striking in the octagon when they're in there, but uh, I t- can totally see that as, as being a potential objective when it comes to uh, Adesanya's striking strategy uh, to take Vittoria out of there. The last thing I want to talk about yeah. is uh, the headliner for next week's UFC fight night. Now, this fight was cancelled uh, a good you know, a bit over a month ago. Um, it was Domino yeah. Reyes versus Yuri uh, Przakcha, Um, sorry, Jaska. Um, and I'm very interested to see this fight because lastly, we, we you know, we were supposed to see this fight not that long ago. Uh, Dominic Reyes actually cited an injury um, and was unable to compete, and then we just saw this fight being pushed back. Um, his fight against Yuri is very interesting because Yuri is actually opened as the favorite while Dominic is actually the underdog, and I didn't expect that because yeah. Dominic Reyes is... You know, to most people, and I, I think certainly for you, Joe, is that, uh, and, and for me as well, is that he beat John Jones. That it was a close fight, but I believe he beat John Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and then quickly after losing to Jan Blakowicz, a lot of people have kind of lost faith in, uh, faith in Dominic yeah. Reyes, to be honest. And now that he's finding uh, Yeary, who's only one fight in the UFC, he's immediately yeah. the underdog. I understand how good. Uh, Yuri Projaska is such a good uh striker and he's came from Ryzen and he's been incredible so far. Yeah. Being amassing a record of 27 and three. But I don't quite understand the heavy underdog that Dominic Reyes is. I believe it's uh to bet on Reyes is like one seventy-two and on uh Yuri it's I think a two dollars, two dollars and two cents or something like that. Yeah. That's a heavy underdog
1: um yeah oh, moderate i think it's well it's um the the reason being is because where yuri comes from he is from the czech republic he actually go is affectionately known as Jurka. Jurka. it's even though it's pronounced yuri so it's it's, it's spelt like yuri it's actually pronounced Jurka. it's the i is meant to be an a on the end mm. he is actually a, has a really strong muay thai background uh he's one was it, he's the inaugural and former ryzen ff light heavyweight champion and also the inaugural and former czech gcf light heavyweight champion and he was ranked fifth in the ufc light heavyweight champion championship so in the ufc light heavyweight rankings off one fight so that's obviously got to say something quite about his skills now uh, there's a lot of him just looking down at a lot of his records. He is no pushover. He has been uh, – he's 28 years of age, and he's been doing wartime kickboxing ever since he was the age of seven. So, it again, and he wants to – and he said openly he wants to be the first ever uh, – he wants to be the first Czech Republic champion in the UFC because I don't think Czech Republic's ever had a champion before. And he's yeah. been finding professionally – in since 2012 so he's been which is actually longer for, than
0: dominic ray is actually
1: correct so he's been fun officially for almost a full decade has only had two losses under his name and three. he's avenged both losses so three uh 27 sorry, and three sorry 27 and three with one with one draw and he's actually avenged all three losses so That's a big statement to make now. But the issue is, I'm looking at right now, if he wins against Dominic Reyes, I don't want him to be another hype train push too soon because he's he's very young. He's 28. However, what I would really like, if he beats Dominic Reyes, I would love to see him fight Alexander Rakic. I think... I was about to say the exact same thing. Yeah, I feel like those two would trade bombs with each other because you've got two very high elite, high, so very elite strikers. And we talked about Alexander Rakic's leg kicks and how vicious they are. And UK uh, has won in the past just by chopping down at those legs. So I feel like that's where a potential match up could be. Yeah, you? I
0: mean, I mean. We obviously know Yiri is incredible on the feet. Um, The the one thing I touched on earlier is that he's a little bit of an unknown. You know, in Ryzen, done incredibly well, right? Done incredibly well at 27 and 3. He's uh, amassed more fights uh, than Dominic Reyes. And he's also been fighting for, I believe, about two years longer than Dominic Reyes, which I understand why they've then put into the betting odds that he could be the favourite but I question why there's little faith in Dominic Reyes when, you know, Dominic Reyes was an undefeated before he fought uh, for John Jones. I believe he beat John Jones, although razor a decision. Um, and then he lost to Jan Blakowicz. It's, it's not a super quick turnaround. I believe he's recovered from there. I, uh, I think when it comes to it, I, I'm, conf- I'm confused by a couple of things. The two things is, um, firstly... I'm confused that there's not enough faith in in Dominic Reyes when he's proven in the UFC. And number two is there's so much faith in Yuri's stand-up skills, uh, being that he's came through Ryzen and has a a very successful kickboxing background, uh, specifically in Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. But they haven't really thought about his other areas, his other holes, and what... You know Dominic Reyes could do if he does take him down. I think if either person was to win, they should fight Alexander Rakic. But to be honest, my mm-hmm, it, it's a difficult decision for me when it comes to picking a winner. But oh, yeah. I think Dominic Reyes will win, and I think it's simply yeah. because he is proven in the UFC and Yuri is not. I think uh, he's yeah. uh. Sorry, Projatska. Um, he's incredible on the feet. I think he's got some of the best skills when it comes to the light heavyweight division uh, yeah. in terms of stand-up, but he's an unknown. He's had one fight in the yeah. UFC, and he's quickly amassed a, a, you know, a top five in the light heavyweight rankings. But Dominic Reyes has been around in the UFC for a hot minute. And uh, I think yeah. being able to beat, in my opinion, beat John Jones um, – at least have a competitive match against John Jones. That ranks high yeah. for me than, you know, than Yuri's, Yuri Pujaska's, uh kickboxing skills when it comes to fighting challenges in Ryzen and the, you know, that Asian circuit. So for me, I would take Dominic Reyes yeah. and yeah. it will be, it'll be an interesting fight. I see it being an absolute scrap. But I think Dominic, Dominic Reyes will win. And I think he will win by decision.
1: I've got my money on Jokka. Uh, I, I, but I reckon it's going to be close, though. I don't know. Just something by style that's really good. Anyway. All right. <laughs> anyway, man. I'm going to head off now. Uh, and but what we'll do is you stay safe, okay? And I'll see you at the end of this lockdown, all right? All right, sounds good. Um, for everyone that's uh that, that's listening, um, thank you very much for listening for, to the last set
0: podcast. Um, trying just to put out a little bit of content for you guys since uh, I you know, we, we, we're just trying our best during this lockdown, we don't have the same equipment that we usually do, but uh, we just love talking about MMA and we can't get around it so. Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. Appreciate it very much. Um, stay safe. Uh, and you say, stay safe. Uh, take care, Joe. Um, and stay safe. See you, Joe. Bye, guys. All the best, man. I'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. Bye-bye. Catch you, dude. Bye-bye.